This is the Member Maker Podcast presented by Memberspace. Each episode, we'll be interviewing entrepreneurs focused on building an audience and growing their membership business. Our guest today is Meredith Harold, founder of Informed SLP, which is focused on helping speech-language pathologists stay up-to-date on current research. All right, I'm here with Meredith Harold of the Informed SLP. Hi, Meredith, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing today? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for taking some time to join. Of course. All right, so we usually start these off by asking, how did you begin your business and, and kind of what is your business? Let's get a quick overview of that. Yeah, so um, I have my PhD in speech language pathology. Um, and right after I got my PhD, I went and started working as an SLP in schools. So a lot of people don't even know what SLPs are, but basically we have a fairly similar job in the school system as a teacher would, except we specialize in supporting kids with speech and language. So helping kids with like dyslexia, autism, disorders such as that. Um, and so I started my business as I was winding down one of my SLP jobs and started to realize, you know what? The one thing that people have a lot of trouble with, which is understanding um, the research that's published regularly in our field and what's best practice and staying up to date with the best possible treatment techniques is something that's really hard for SLPs. Um, and I you know, felt like because of my PhD and my background in science that I kind of was the best person to bridge that gap. So um, my business actually started not really necessarily planning on it being a business. I was about to transition back into higher education and start working as a professor again. And um, I actually started my business thinking, oh, this might be something that I can do kind of as I move from being an SLP into being a professor to try to bridge the gap between what scientists at universities are creating and what SLPs in practice are doing. Um, and so it kind of started actually as a um, blog. Like I, ha- I, I knew that it could be a business, but I wasn't necessarily tied to the idea of being an entrepreneur because I was about to start a full-time job as a professor. So let me just, uh, let me interrupt for a sec here. So the, you started with a blog that, that was kind of like ground zero as far as you beginning this business, even though you weren't even doing it necessarily as a business at, at that point. Yeah. And actually the, the way I started it, started it was um, in retrospect genius. And I didn't even really even realize it at the time because I was, I'm a, I mean, a speech language pathologist and a scientist. Like I don't know anything about business. I mean, I'm learning it now. Um, but basically what I did is I built up my website and I had this idea that each month I would go to published journal articles um, on our scientific websites pull all the ones that were published that month, read them myself, and then translate them for SLPs. Basically, instead of, you know, having a hundred scientific publications, instead narrowing it down to like 10 that SLPs would really care about and basically explaining it to them, how they could use it in clinical practice. So when I started my website, I basically had built everything out and all of my systems in order to do this. But the thing I didn't know is whether or not people would want to read it. You know, I knew that it would be fun for me every month to basically translate the science for clinicians, but I had no idea if people wanted it. So what I did is I was already in a bunch of online SLP groups on Facebook, and I had people that I talked to on Twitter and Instagram and things like that. Um, So I understood where SLPs hung out on social media, and I basically created a post that says, hey guys, here's this shell of a website. Here's what I want to do. 
would you listen or would you read this if every single month I dug through the scientific literature and gave you basically like a short little, you know, magazine type, um, you know, overview or review of the research that's out there. And I had put on my social media posts, I was like, you know, I'm not going to start doing this research and writing it for you guys unless people want it. So let's get, you know, a list of at least 300 people who want it. And if you want it, then I'll start doing it. And I was offering it for free. So basically what I did is I had an email sign up where people would enter their email basically saying, yeah, I want this free thing that you're thinking about doing, send it to me. And within the first 48 hours, I had a thousand people sign up for it. Um, And so that's one of those like in hindsight kind of, you know, critical or um, steps that I had taken is, you know, I was collecting email addresses before I realized how valuable it was going to be to me. Um, And then the other thing that I think was really valuable is I had started my um, website as just a free thing, like basically saying, hey, I kind of want to do this for people. Would people be willing to read it? Um, And basically over the first year of having my website, I'm trying to remember the numbers here, um, I had gotten to an email list of 12,000 before I ever monetized. Um, And so I basically continued to offer it for free for a year and a half before I realized, okay, I've got, you know, 12,000 people and a, you know, 60% open rate on this thing. Maybe I should start charging for it. And so that's the point in time at which um, I decided to turn it into a membership site. Um, And, you know, I I think it's kind of funny because I think a a lot of businesses, it doesn't make sense for them to be an online membership, um, but a lot of businesses, it makes perfect sense. And this, you know, monthly, you know, blog review thing that I was doing made absolute perfect sense to be a membership because it had a monthly release. I had lots of people that basically were already showing me they loved reading it and my social media traffic was growing like crazy. So um, I turned it into a membership site at that point in time. Um, And initially, like in the first month that I did it, um, I charged people $3 for it because I was like, oh, people have been reading this for free. Like they won't pay for it, right? Like I can't can't ask them to start paying for it after they've been reading it for free. And so I started at $3. Um, And then I got smart and started to realize um, what, what that said about my perceived value of the website um, and ended up later increasing the price to $7 um, a month. But um, I don't really have any plans to increase the regular membership much higher than that um, because, you know, I, I don't know. I, I started this business as a service to SLPs. And the thing that's become the most valuable to me is the fact that thousands and thousands and thousands of SLPs read it. And so I'm kind of sticking with that. Right. Well, let me interject again here. So just to, we'll, we'll dive into the pricing in a second because I definitely want to go into that. But just to back up, just to back up a minute uh, to give folks, a lot of folks that listen to this and that are uh, in the middle of trying to create a membership business, a big, a big challenge that we've heard and that they've expressed to us are, is around building an audience, right? It's, it's hard to get that that email list going, get that social media following going. So I really want to hone in on, on how you did that. So it sounds like in the very beginning, you uh, realized there was a problem. And the problem was, okay, there's a lot of research being published on the, in the SLP industry uh, in various journals. It takes time to read that and synthesize it and then apply it. What if I just created little summaries for people and then delivered it monthly? So was that just based on your own experience of, man, this is annoying, it takes a lot of time? Or was it based on you kept hearing people complain about that? No, it was based on my own experience of realizing how frustrating it was. And realizing that um, as scientists, you don't really realize um, how time-consuming 
it can be and all the barriers for a clinician. Like, I think that the thing that really put me in the right space is that I understood kind of both sides of it um, and was able to translate it. So yeah, it was based on personal experience and my own frustration. I basically identified a problem with this very, you know, small group of people, you know, I'm an, I have a niche audience um, and created a solution that I thought would work. You basically were solving, trying to solve your own problem, which is definitely one approach to, to building a business that people should pay attention to. Like if, if folks out there have a, a an obvious problem in whatever industry they're in that no one that you no one that they know of at least is addressing the problem, that's that's a good example of, of a place to to explore as far as a business idea. And so just to take that to the next the next step to follow the breadcrumbs here. After that, you went on uh, I think you said Facebook right and, and just started uh, asking people you know, is this something people would want? And then trying to get them to join an, e an email list of sorts, right? Yeah, I basically said, if I, you know, were to offer this to you, would you want it? And I started out by offering it for free. So when you say, would you want it? Was that just purely like, would you want it for free? Was the, that was like, you made that clear? Or did you make it clear that, oh, but I would be charging eventually? Oh, no, I had no plans to monetize from the get go. Like I said, I'm not a business person. And I was kind of, a, I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. I just was thinking about, let me create this solution because it makes me feel good to create the solution for people. And when I said, do you want it? What I was asking is if I write this, will you read it? And so I people, yeah. So people entered their email address to basically say, yeah, take your time to write it. I'm willing to read it. Like, I think this would be good. Right. So you were trying to do like a, like a community service of sorts. You were just trying to be helpful. Yeah. I was just trying to be helpful. And I, I did it because I wanted to feel helpful. Like I wanted to, use my expertise and use what I knew and create a solution because it feels good to create solutions for people, you know? So it really just kind of started from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great place to start. And that's something else that, you know, folks listening should really pay attention to is how do you, and as far as building an audience initially is, is how do you provide value for the kind of people that you want to serve and help? And for a lot of folks that, that value would be like you said, blog posts, uh, maybe a podcast, basically information, something that helps solve their problem right now. And then in the future, you can figure out a way to maybe monetize that solution or make a more robust solution that, that you then charge for. But there's some version that's free. And looking at your website, it looks like you still maintain your blog. So it, it looks like you are still giving out free information at the moment. Yeah, but the vast majority of what I'm doing is built is within the membership. I, you know, like 95% of what we have is actually in the membership right now not on the free side, but yeah. And that, and that's reasonable. You know, everyone can figure out their own ratio as far as how much they want to give away and how much, and, and how much should be locked behind a, you know, a member space paywall or something. But yeah, I like, that's a, that's a good origin story. I think that's real clear as far as step-by-step. Step. So why don't we dive into the, the initial pricing that you, you discussed? I think you said it was initially $3 a month. Was that right? Yeah. So it was free. Basically everything that's in the membership site now was free for a year and a half before I decided to monetize. And then I started charging people $3. And then I quickly realized that if you undercharge people, it says something about what you think the value of what you're offering is. And so I thought about it more and realized like I came to a more what I thought was you know reasonable price and so yeah now it's seven dollars per issue but we have two different sides of it and so um, people if they buy, um, buy both sections it would be like fourteen dollars an issue and we publish issues monthly people are paying per issue or are they paying just a general monthly fee there those are the same things with my membership site because every month we have a publication. Think of it kind of like a magazine that comes out once per month. So you can think of it as paying per month or per issue, but that's the that's the same thing, you know. 
I see, I see. So there's one issue, one, one big piece of content you release per month. Yes. And it's released on a specific day. It's not like you drip out a bunch of pieces of content over the month. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like an online uh, magazine or summary of sorts. So you had mentioned that you started off with a $3 price point after it was free, and then you moved to $7 uh, uh-huh. per month. So I'm just per issue. Uh, and so I'm just kind of curious, where did that number come from? The three, where did the seven come from? Is that based on data? Was that based on customer feedback? Is it just a number you pulled out of a hat? Where did that come from? Yeah. So the $3 um, number came out of nowhere. Like in hindsight, that was a silly, you know, number to be using. But I think that honestly, the $3 per um, issue or month thing was rooted in fear that people wouldn't be willing to pay for it, you know, because I had been operating for a year and a half with just giving it for free. And I was nervous that people wouldn't pay for it. But I also knew that I needed to pay the bills because I was paying for, you know, website hosting fees and everything, membership, uh, or I mean, um, email Um, websites and everything. So I needed the money to keep it alive. Um, But then the $7 price, I'm a lot more comfortable with. And, you know, that came from a combination of um, asking my customers, which I actually don't necessarily think is the best strategy, because if you're offering something that's never existed before, they don't know what to pay for it. They don't know what they think they would want to pay for it. And actually, when I did survey my customers, it was all over the place. Like some people said that they would only be willing to pay three per month. Other people said that they'd be willing to pay $45 per month. And it was just, it was bananas. Like people don't know what they, (laughs) people don't know what they want to pay until you actually start, you know, trying to offer something. But um, the reason, the reason I'm comfortable with, you know, the $7 a month thing, and that could, that could go up by, you know, maybe 30% or 40%, but I'll never get up anywhere near like the $20 per month price point or anything. Um, It's because I feel like that is reasonable and ethical. And I simply feel comfortable charging SLPs that rate. I mean, speech language pathologists make the same or maybe a little more than teachers, you know? So, um, and, and also it matches my mission. Like I want to get to the point where I have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 subs. And if I move my price point too high, um, I think that it, you know, gets to a point where a lot of people start to not be able to afford it. And I don't want, um, being able to afford it to ever be a barrier um, because I'm not necessarily offering something that I consider to be like a premium product that only some people in my field are going to buy. I'm trying to create something that everybody in my field is going to buy. Um, and I also, I see really, really low cancellation rates. Like the most common reason people leave our membership is because their credit card expires and they forget to update it in time. And then they come back later. Um, like people really don't cancel because of money. Um, so so I feel I just I feel really comfortable at that price point because um, I think that it's a reasonable price to ask of clinicians. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a fair a fair way to do pricing, right? That there's some people argue you should have a very data driven pricing based on surveys and cancellation rates and growth rates and all that kind of stuff, and then and then a lot of and then there's other folks who completely just go by their gut or what they feel like. Uh, makes sense. Uh, you know, we, we personally try to go somewhere in the middle of those two things, definitely leaning a little bit more on the, on the gut side of things, just because, you know, you, you, you own the business, right? You talk to your customers all the time. You've heard, uh, you know, their feedback, I'm sure on the pricing, you, you as an SLP know, like, like you were saying, what kind of money they make. So I don't, it, 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 sometimes it's okay to leave money on the table, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. But it, it, that's something that 
especially when you're first starting, I think people need to be weary of because it, it, you need to you need to be able to charge enough to get the business off the ground. And if and so you can't start off being uber generous, I'd argue, until you know if your pricing model and business model has a fit with, with people. Um, you kind of you need to charge enough to be a sustainable business, and then at that point you can kind of reassess whether okay, should I increase the price? Should I decrease the price? Should I keep it the same? But until you're at a point where you can sustain yourself and your staff and 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 and, and do that all well, right, and, and take care of your customers, pricing's a little tricky. So right now I was looking at your team; it looks like you have a good amount of people on the team. Is that? It's not, obviously the price you're charging is enough to cover yourself, your team salary, um, and also to be able to support the many customers you have, right? Yes, yeah, and in fact, um, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's plenty enough. And I, you know, I think that um, I, I think that I was able to get away with starting a membership website and charging a really low price because I had a really big audience before I ever monetized. I had a lot of people who trust trusted me already, and so you know, when I monetized, it was to a list of you know over 12,000 people who were already reading my stuff. You know what I mean? I think it would be really different if I didn't already have an audience, but I already had a big audience. So I knew that I could go from zero to 60 um, pretty quickly. So let's, let's just transition a bit to regarding uh, cancellations and, and refunds. It sounds like you, do, you have a low cancellation rate, which is great, right? That's the dream of everyone who, who has a recurring revenue business. Um, it, it sounds like the main reason though is, is some kind of credit card failure, not, not because people want to leave, but is, is, I, I assume there still must be some people leaving either because of money or because of they no longer are in the profession or they don't find it useful for whatever reason. Um, what, what are, is there, is there anything you're doing to try to actively keep those cancellations down or is it low enough that it's not even a problem on your radar? It's low enough that it's not even a problem on my radar. I mean, honestly, like the 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 three like number one reasons people cancel. The top one is just credit cards expiring, and you know people are people are you know inherently lazy. Like I'm inherently lazy. You know what I mean? Like if I am subscribing to something and my credit card expires and I um, don't go update it, it might be three months before I realize, oh wait, I still want that thing, and then go take care of it. You know, but um, member space naturally takes care of most of that for me. You know, so I don't have to actually deal with it. I don't have to prompt people. You know, as you know. Um, but I do lose some people because they just never end up updating their credit card. But I actually get a lot of people back too, who months later will be like, um, you know, I want to restart my membership. Do I need to, you know, do I need to do anything different or just, you know, go in and update my credit card? But um, yeah, expiring credit cards is the number one reason. Um, and then I do get other people who cancel. Um, and it's usually because um, they are moving to a different job or they say that they just don't um, take the time to use our content. So they just say, you know, I wanted to read it, but I just didn't take the time to do it. And so I don't need it. Um, or they're retiring or um, I very rarely get people who will say, oh, I'm trying to cut expenses. But sometimes it's that too. But yeah, for the most part, I just am not worried about cancellations because it's so low. It's not, it's, you know, of all the, you know, things I'm trying to tackle right now, that just isn't one of them because most people don't cancel. Right. No, that, that sounds like a great problem to have. And most people would, would, would love to be able to not have to focus on that. Right. Um, and just kind of focus on growth. Uh, so, so kind of speaking of growth, uh, you had mentioned, you know, it sounds like the business is doing well. 
Um, you're not you're not hurting for uh, for revenue. Everyone seems to be paid. You're taking care of your customers. Do you, do you have sort of an end goal in mind, or like what, how big you want to get, or do you want to kind of maintain the current size, or what are your thoughts there? <laughs> well, yeah. So the funny thing about me is you have to keep in mind that I never really intended to be an entrepreneur in the first place, and so I have a lot of I have a lot of growing pains related to not knowing what I want. And so I started this in mid 2016. Um, so as of May 2019, I'll be leaving my university job because this website and membership has kept me so busy and it has grown so much that um, I need to take the time to baby it and it can easily replace my university salary now. And so um, I'm actually quitting my full-time job as a professor to do this membership website exclusively. Um Yeah. And so um, that was a really hard choice for me because I really love being a professor, but I also really love this website and the community that I've built. And, you know, I basically had to sit there and look at it and realize that I could only do one or the other. Like I can't keep having two full-time jobs. Um, And so, you know, for now, I, my plans over the next year are going to be to adjust to that, to adjust to finally actually having time to really deeply look at my own website and the services I'm offering and figuring out, you know, if there's other things I want to offer. Um, but, you know, honestly, if it were to stay roughly the size it is now forever, that wouldn't be a problem for me because I'd always be able to pay my salary. But of course, you know, I want it to get bigger because part of the reason that I started this was to get more science to more of our, that more of the clinicians in our field. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I know I don't want to be a mega company with, you know, 30 employees plus I, you know, just me and I have um, 12 people who are part-time either as employees or independent contractors, depending on what they do for me. And honestly, like where I am now is a lot on my plate as it is. So I don't know. No, I mean, that that's, it's a good thing to think about sometimes is like, especially for business, it's like, oh, a lot of people just assume you should just grow for growth sake. Like, of course you should keep growing and getting bigger. Of course, of course. But if you step back and think about it and, and, and try to think of, well, what does bigger look like? And, and what would my day-to-day be like? And would I enjoy that? Is that actually what I want? Or, 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 or do I like where I'm at now? If maybe I could refine some things, make some things smoother. But am I, but you know, do I like where we're at now? Um, and maybe I just want to figure out a way to maybe increase profit um, without necessarily increasing the amount of staff or the amount of work that I have to do. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, those are good thoughts to be having. Um, do you know sort of what, what's next for the business? Like what, what, what you're going to focus on, uh, I guess in 2019, is it, is it just kind of getting, getting your bearings to be focused on just this full time? Is that the main, the main focus? For the most part, I mean, some of the things on my kind of like short term to do list over the next six months is I'm going to, um, start offering courses. So people will have, you know, the membership with the monthly content, but then they'll also be able to purchase courses. And so that'll be a huge thing to add on to my site. Um, And another thing is to, you know, I've always been really active in social media and that's where I've gotten most of my audience from, but I also think I can do it better. Um, I'm getting really close to having Instagram swipe up. And so I need to get ready for that (laughs) and, you know, be able to start, you know, selling off of Instagram, which I haven't previously been able to do. Um, So yeah, the courses and kind of starting to, you know, fine tune and grow my social media presence. Um, And, um, I, I have a bad habit of not necessarily thinking like years in advance, but thinking in like one year increments. So that's all for 2019. Who knows what will happen after that? 
Yeah, no, that sounds like plenty. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to uh, to mention? No, I don't think so. All right, cool. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for the time, Meredith. It was great talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your guys' support. The Member Maker Podcast has been brought to you by MemberSpace, the software that helps you turn your audience into a membership business. You can learn more by visiting memberspace.com.